was as if the video had unzipped my skin, slunk inside my tapered flesh, and become one with me. Michael David Wilson, the girl in the video. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie, and today we have the creator and one of the hosts of the This Is Horror podcast and author of the novella The Girl in the Video, Michael David Wilson. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I'm excited to finally chat with you. Yeah, I've been... um wanting to do a chat for a while and i read the girl in the video and it freaked me out that's awesome i mean that's exactly (laughs) the reaction that i would hope for and i mean something that's been so great is seeing on social media and particularly on instagram just these reactions come through and i mean myself and Max Booth and Laurie Michelle at Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, we put these promo packages together where we took photographs of people's Instagram profile and then sent that as Mm -hmm. a little Polaroid. And people just posting and being like, yeah, this was pretty disturbing. It's like, good, that is what we wanted to do. And yeah, yeah, then, then seeing that people also enjoyed the book I mean that is of course absolutely what I wanted too so I mean so far this pre-release and soon to be released is going very well yeah the the promo package definitely creeped me out a little bit I'm like this was this was good (laughs) yeah it definitely puts you in the right headspace so for our listeners who don't know what is the book about or can you tell us a little bit about it So, I mean, the way that we've been pitching it is that the girl in the video is the ring meets fatal attraction for the iPhone generation. So, yeah, that right there is the elevator pitch. And I mean, to give a little bit more detail, there's a teacher who's living in Japan and he's married and he receives this bizarre video and it's it's both disturbing and a little bit sexual so he's not sure whether to be scared or aroused and probably a combination well I was going to say a combination (laughs) of the two is the right reaction I'm not sure that it's right the right (laughs) reaction to start getting aroused by creepy videos but nonetheless it is his reaction and he he kind of becomes obsessed by this video. He starts receiving more videos and he's trying to piece together not only who is sending the videos, but whether or not these are personalized and meant for him or whether 
this is just some sort of spam and that's the premise and that is the direction that the story goes in and as you would expect things just get weirder and weirder and I mean this is for people who like dark fiction this is for people who like a little bit of humor and if you like dialogue heavy fiction then this is probably for you also yeah I mean I just devoured it in a day like I could not put it down (laughs) yeah and it's remarkable when when I hear people say that because of course I've had books that I've read that I've had the same experience I mean pretty much any time Josh Malaman puts that puts out a book I mean that will be devoured I mean when he put out Bird Box I found that a page turner and just had to find out what happened next but with this being my first lung form release it is so gratifying and surreal to hear people having the same experience with a story that I've wrote but it's a tremendous thrill as well and the best possible reaction I could have got. I wanted to ask uh, what the inspiration was for the story. I mean did something catch your eye in your spam folder one day or (laughs) how did this come about? So the way that this came about was I think it was A few years back now, I was doing the one story per week challenge, which is exactly how it sounds. The challenge was for me to write one short story per week. And I saw the call out for the anthology Lost Films, which was a perpetual motion machine publishing anthology. And so they wanted short stories that were somehow revolving around videos or film or cinema and so I just started drafting out an idea from there but it soon became apparent that this story was a lot longer than a short story so I contacted Max Booth to ask him about the upper limit because I think on the website it said it was 10,000 words, but to inquire if it was longer. So that is what I did. I said, well, how long can we go? And he said, well, how long have you got? And I said, well, I think this might be getting on for 20,000 words. And he's like, yeah, that's too long for for this anthology. And I, I thought that might be the end of the conversation. But he said... I mean, luckily for me, because he'd enjoyed work that I'd done before and I'd had a story published in Dark Moon Digest, which is another of his publications. He said, well, send it my way and let me take a look at it. And so once it was complete, that is exactly what I did. And he said, well, I'd like to publish it as a standalone novella. So, I mean, that outcome was even better than being in the anthology. So, of course, I gladly accepted that. But in terms of of the actual story and coming up with it, I mean, I was trying to combine this paranoia that you can have from this overconnected 
technological world that we live in, also highlighting the, the vulnerability and the way in which our privacy is not as private as a lot of people think it is. And then I tried to put that in with the kind of outsider feeling when you're living in another country whereby the main language is not your first language. And so I was trying to capture some of that almost claustrophobic and just bizarre, uncomfortable atmosphere that you can find yourself in. So I put all of those into the creative part and the girl in the video is is what appeared out of it. And it all works well. I definitely think there is just such an appeal to technological horror. It, it, it's a, a small subgenre, but it, it is so effective just in our day and age. Yeah, I mean, of course, I really enjoyed Ringu and the book, The Ring by Koji Suzuki. And I think for a lot of people, that is one of the first modern technological horrors to to come out really i mean certainly in terms of when the novel was written because i think that was 1991 of course the film was 98 so there's perhaps an mm. argument that in some ways scream was a techno horror to some extent before that although it's more that people are getting a phone call rather than the the phone itself being being the instrument or the thing to fear. And then I guess preceding that, there was Videodrome, which is a whole other level of techno and body horror. But I do think that recently we've seen some interesting interpretations of that genre within horror. I mean, there was a Benjamin Percy book, I believe it was called the dark web it was either the dark web or the dark net and that was certainly a, a great story and a very very fucking scary story <laughs> and then of course this is horror put out the visible filth which was relatively oh, yeah. recently made into the the film wounds which is available mm -hmm. on netflix so have you seen the film uh, yeah, we have it on Hulu here in the States. Um, so you saw it and read it too? Well, well yeah, so I, I've seen it and then I published it. So this is how I put the visible filth mm -hmm. out. So it was particularly interesting for me to see a story that I remembered <laughs> editing on screen. But one thing that I loved is like I, I felt that with that film... They didn't water it down and they didn't make it more palatable for an on-screen audience. So you got all the weirdness, you got all the yes. confusion and, and disorientation. And in fact, disorientation is the word that I was looking for to describe the experience of being a foreigner in Japan. But yeah, boy, oh boy, did they pull that off with wounds and i mean i th i think the book has an ending that just makes you go you know wtf and that the <laughs> film also did that so it was 
a highly accomplished film, but I can see certainly how it's going to divide audiences. And I think those that like their horror neatly wrapped up are perhaps not going to, you know, get on with wounds so well. But those who like a bit or indeed a lot of ambiguity and they like, I guess, more a David Lynch school of thought, they will be lapping up wounds. So if people listening haven't watched it and that sounds like the kind of thing that you're into, then, yeah, if you're in the UK or Japan, then you can get it on Netflix. If you're in America, then Hulu. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely very polarizing, and I, I see what you mean. I think someone has to have at least a little bit of a taste for the weird. Mm. Yeah, get along with it. But yeah, there there just is something about getting like specifically targeted through a device that just makes you feel so vulnerable. But usually when you use it, it's something that you feel just so safe behind. And it's it's just so effective. (laughs) It's a episode I've wanted to do for a while is a a technological horror episode. So maybe I'll have to have you on for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to chat about that. And (laughs) I, I know that Todd Keisling in the last year or so, also released a techno-horror. So he he could be a good person to get on for a kind of panel. I mean, there's there's quite a few of us who who are doing it, and I think it's because it's such a, a relevant and a pertinent topic. And, I mean, you were saying when we were off air that you've recently given birth to your second child, and I think when you have children it's a whole other level and on this is horror podcast we were talking to to Jonathan Jans about just deciding how private your personal life should be and so for some people they just won't put photos up of their children for others they might but then they they'd kind of obscure the face I mean I don't mean like Ringu obscure the face that would be really fucking weird but like you know they'll they'll make sure that the the kid isn't like looking towards the the camera or I mean in in Japan they seem to put uh, emojis and smiley faces and and relevantly enough Hello Kitty faces over the actual face to obscure that and then of other people, like I think both Brian Keane and Jonathan Jans, when they're talking about their children on, on a podcast or publicly, they give them a nickname that isn't actually their name. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like their, their public name to refer to them. And I mean, as with so many things, there are no black and white answers here. There are only shades of grey and you have to make your own decisions based on your own personal circumstances and as with everything we're free to change our mind at any time so I mean the way that I'm doing things with my two-year-old daughter I mean I I don't think I've ever publicly mentioned her by name and then I'm very careful about photos so I haven't I haven't really put any in the public realm where it would be easy to identify her face with facial recognition software and I I guess that at the the moment I just feel like 
she doesn't have a, a say in the matter to decide whether she wants to be out there in the public world. And, of course, we don't know what she's going to decide to do with her life or what career she will be embarking upon. I mean, it would be impressive if at two years old she'd already made that known to us. So I, I, I feel that at the moment I want to just be a little bit cautious about that. And I think, in fact, I, I mm -hmm. probably feel stronger about that than my wife does. I think my wife would put out more photos and mention her a little bit more. And I mean, sometimes on her Facebook profile, she will. But I guess my wife's kind of friend network on Facebook and mostly people she personally knows and has met. Whereas being in the horror community, there's a lot of people who I'm networking with. So it's it's as much a, a business tool as it is a social tool. So I think in that respect, my profile is more public than my wife's is. No, there's definitely different levels that I see even yeah, in my friend group, the the very different approaches that everyone takes to that. Um, I definitely post more pictures of my kids on like my private mm. personal Instagram account. But yeah, it, it is interesting because I do have friends that, you know, have, you know, separate Instagram pages for their kids and kind of want them to be kid influencers. Mm. And then I have friends who have foster children and they're not legally uh, allowed to share any picture so I do see a lot of the emoji face on yeah the, yeah on the kid like when they do family photos or things like that so yeah it is it is interesting just to see all the different uh approaches to everything yeah and I I think and as new information is released and as we develop as our children develop as I say we're free to change our mind under Mm -hmm. under the circumstances i mean i i one thing i would consider is perhaps getting a domain name for for my daughter but then again <laughs> i've bought some bizarre domain names in my time it's something where it's like oh god why are you buying that and I'll, I'll just like probably late at night get this business idea and be like you know i could do that oh i better buy the domain name now and then the next morning, I'm like, what am I fucking talking about? I don't even have enough time to do all the projects I'm trying to do at the moment. And so that domain will will expire after a year or so. But, you know, and unless my daughter changes her name, I suppose having the domain name might might be of value. But then, you know, in, in 20 years or so, are our websites even going to be the main the main way of kind of getting your information out there it's difficult to say yeah it is crazy is your daughter really good at like operating phones and screens because i just thought that was so crazy seeing how easily that came to my son <laughs> so i mean i've been quite mindful of not wanting her to use an ipad but it's something that I go back and forth on. And I mean, I found with parenting as well that early on, you'll make really hard, firm rules, mostly because I've never been a parent before. And then I read a book and I think, oh, 
never show them a screen and it's like yeah <laughs> fucking good luck with that and <laughs> good luck with getting any work done if you if you follow that rule but yeah yeah i am i'm i'm aware that steve jobs did not show his children or or let his children use an ipad because of all their kind of addictive qualities so that is something i'm mindful of but at the same time I have tremendously positive memories of me playing video games from four years old and playing Sonic the Hedgehog and Golden Axe and all sorts of games on the Sega Mega Drive. And so it's about deciding what is right. So I think at the moment, like she she might see a kind of educational thing on an iPad, but it will be very much controlled and we're not going to just give her the ipad and then leave her with it for a bit and similarly she will watch television but we try to limit the amount of time that she's doing that for and i mean there are definitely a number of positive benefits i mean the language acquisition and the way that she will pick up phrases which is why it's probably good that I'm letting her watch appropriate television I'm not like right well I'm watching Ringu and then tomorrow I'm watching the Suicide Club so you can you can join in with that if you want no it's more uh things like the the delights of Peppa Pig and super simple songs where she can learn various uh songs such as classics like one little finger and uh, the <laughs> wheels on the bus and all of that good stuff. But because we well, because I'm in Japan and the long term plan is for us to live in Japan permanently. We're also showing her Japanese videos and Japanese songs. So, I mean, that has been really instrumental in her development as well so I mean at the moment she's got a little bit of English a little bit of Japanese and I mean without technology you couldn't do that but I I mean it, it, it is scary to go back to the question that you actually asked just how easily children can can pick up and can almost become one with technology and I mean that there are some children that they're so used to an iPad that you give them a physical book and they're trying to swipe to (laughs) to get to the next page and I mean that's probably a time where you might want to reevaluate the balance between physical books and and iPads if they're literally trying to swipe right (laughs) on 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 the on the physical book but yeah it, it is pretty astounding yeah I mean there's benefits and cons to everything I mean yeah I grew up in like a fully Spanish-speaking household and that like watching tv was how I learned how to speak English like when I went to school yeah yeah well, between the uh, the immersion and tv that really helped but yeah it's it's been uh interesting here with this uh quarantine yeah because my son has had to like earn his screen time but he'll try to like <laughs> go up next to me and just tell me what apps I have on my phone to just start a conversation (laughs) yeah yeah and I mean another thing 
as well is like you you can never make the perfect decision with parenting no. and that that is something <laughs> that i found out very quickly and that there are always going to be pros and cons to whatever you do so if i said okay i'm going to make an absolute rule that my daughter cannot be on an ipad until she's 10 years old and it's like well okay you've made that rule and maybe she's not got eye strain she's not got addicted to the ipad but also now she goes to school she's seven years old and there's perhaps a class activity where they're using an ipad and now she's the only kid who who, who hasn't even seen one and doesn't know what to do with it so as well as looking at I guess, physical and mental benefits and disadvantages. You've got to look at the social as well. And you don't want to accidentally, you know, make your kid a little bit more socially inept. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to parent and find a, a balance and everything. Like, I mean, we haven't even gotten to, you know, when they're teenagers and they're going to want social media. And like, yeah. we as adults know the the weights and the pros and cons of that. And like, what's what's the right decision? It's just, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I'm so glad that I'm not a teenager now because I think... Yeah. That it. I mean, we, we're almost living in a surveillance state. So any fucked up, stupid decision or thing that you do, there's a high likelihood that somebody captured that. And when I was at university... I got drunk and did a lot of stupid fucking things. So I'm very thankful that there is not, as far as I know, video evidence. And and if there is, you know, don't, don't send it to me. That might make my life a little bit too much like the girl in the video, which is not what I'm after. <laughs> crazy time well this this literal time is a crazy time with the COVID-19 stuff going on too on top of all of this yeah which, which I suppose I mean we, we've spoken a little bit about the negatives of technology and the potential pitfalls but I mean I think at the moment we're seeing a lot of the advantages the fact that everyone is still connected and I mean any other time, if you had to stay isolated, then you'd be getting your news from the television and the newspapers. And, you know, maybe you'd have phone calls. It depends how far back we're going. But I mean, at the moment, you, you've got Skype, you've got WhatsApp video calls, you've got conferences on platforms such as Zoom and that's also not only enabling you to talk with your friends, but it's also enabling you to take online classes. I mean, all manner of classes. And in fact, this weekend, so only yesterday, because all of the big conventions have been cancelled i mean presumably the little conventions as well like no conventions are going on during this pandemic but kelly owen put together CoronaCon, uh, which was essentially a convention at the same time that scares the care was going to take place where there were all sorts of people from horror from horror fiction 
talking and giving readings. And so you've got Brian Keane, you've got Stephen Kozanuski, you have Mary San Giovanni, Bob Pastorella from This Is Horror. And there's, there's now, at the time that we're speaking, seven and a half hours of content. So you can watch the entire replay on YouTube. And at any other time, the con would have been cancelled and that would be it. But yeah. because of, of the time that we're living in, we've got that. And I mean, I, I've said this a number of times on This Is Horror podcast, but I do think that technology can be a force for good or a force for bad. And it really is how you use it. And I mean, technology has played a huge and a positive part in my life. I mean, if it wasn't for technology, the This Is Horror podcast could not exist. You know, the nearest that I'd be able to have would be the This Is Horror radio show, where either there'd be a studio that would be in a fixed location, or I'd be on the road that would presumably limit me to the country that I'm living in, interviewing people that way. But because of the internet, because of Skype, it means that I can talk to people from all around the world. This is how we're having this conversation now. I've spoken to people in Australia. I'm in Japan. I've spoken to people um, all, all over Europe and a lot of people in America and Canada. And it's all because of technology. And similarly, this is horror as a website. Well, if there was no technology, it wouldn't exist in the form that it did. It would be a magazine presumably limited to the UK but because I've got this worldwide audience it means that a significant percentage of people who who are reading and who are listening to this as horror are from America, Canada, we've got quite a few people in like Northern Europe like Sweden and Iceland and I, I am hugely appreciative of that, I mean, it's literally changed my life. So mm -hmm. just because I've written something about the, the dangers of social media, certainly I wouldn't want people to think I'm, I'm anti-technology. I mean, it would be a bit weird with someone with a podcast of 340 episodes to be <laughs> anti-technology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just is. It can be a force for good. And yeah, you're right. It, it gives us such a reach and you know being able to talk and you know with Skype see the people that we're talking to which wasn't an option you know some years ago yeah yeah and this is before we've even got on to talking about entertainment I mean oh yeah in in a pandemic in in the 90s let's say you'd have your, your VHS collection and whatever's on television. <laughs> and probably by the end of it, you're going to be pretty sick of all of that. I mean, there's never that much good on, on television, not at the times that you want it to be on. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how big your VHS collection was back then, but I do think that there, there's only a limit to how many times I could watch some of the films that I had but now 
with Netflix, with Amazon, with Hulu, with like Apple, whatever they're calling their service at the moment, it seems to change quite frequently. You've you've got this library of almost infinite content. You've also got music. You've got podcasts. You've got audio books. You've got YouTube. It is, you know, no one's gonna come out the end of the pandemic and say, okay, I've watched or I've read everything I intend to watch or read in my life. I'm I'm done. I've completed that phase. That because there's always new material as well. Yeah, I mean, it is a interesting time, and yeah, I mean, I've definitely use this time to watch shows I've been meeting to get to so I'm like well might as well right yeah yeah so what what have you been watching at the moment um well my mom and I would talk so we decided to go through all of the crown right together mm. uh so I watched all three seasons of that um and then my husband and I are currently making our way through the third season of Ozark uh, yeah I've, on Netflix yeah yeah I've only just started the third season so I've only watched an episode so far but you know it, it, it's good it set the tone and I mean I, I don't oh yeah I I don't know about you but I, I thought season one of Ozark was pretty good I would have given it four out of five stars but for me season two was a five star show I mean it really turned everything up a notch and just kept getting better and better I mean that was the point where I was really addicted to it and I'm hoping that season three is more akin to to season two than it was the first but it it certainly seems to be so far based on literally one episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I'm only halfway through but I think it has I think it's definitely up the up the ante Mm good it's just such a good show yeah everyone should watch it that's my yeah <laughs> go watch it yeah i think so and i mean if you laura linney is just so great in it oh yeah i mean i i think the whole cast are pretty mm-hmm. phenomenal i i would say you know i haven't seen anything that's been just so consistent since breaking bad but i can see how there's a there's an argument that this is better than Breaking Bad. I mean, it certainly has stronger, more independent female characters for a start. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the ones calling the shots. It definitely beats it on that. Yeah, it definitely beats it on that front. Uh, I loved Breaking Bad, too. That was <laughs> that would be a tough call. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think what Breaking Bad did really well was consequences and really just following up on like making sure every action had a consequence and that it played out on the show. It was just yeah, so good at that. Yeah. I mean, Breaking Bad is probably my favorite television show. And when I say Breaking Bad, I combine that with Better Call Saul and I consider them one entity. I don't care if like they're technically not. <laughs> That's how I do it. And you can tell me I'm wrong, but that is how how I do it. And I mean at, at the moment, every time a new Better Call Saul episode drops, I am right there to watch it. And the last two episodes were absolutely phenomenal. I'm obviously not gonna drop any spoilers. I don't know if you've watched them and they've just came out so that's just not 
a cool thing to do. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, episode eight and episode nine were phenomenal. And, you know, episode 10, which is the final one, I believe, that is out tomorrow. And I think... I think this is the final season of Better Call Saul, which, hmm. I mean, I kind of hope not. I want my my <laughs> my Breaking Bad fix. So if, if this is really it, then I, I am totally okay with them making another series within the Breaking Bad universe. I mean, we, of course, got the, the Jesse movie... El Camino, which, which which was enjoyable. I don't think it was quite the level of either Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, but I am happy having watched it. But yeah, if they if they want to do a kind of Gus Fring origin story, then I'm fine with that. They can create any kind kind of show. I mean, I I I, I hope that. Vince Gilligan is listening. I hope he's a big fan of books in the freezer and is like, okay, I was on the edge. As you have said that, this is now going to happen. I'm going to give the people what they want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll be, definitely be interesting to see what he does after this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and at this stage, I mean, he has proven himself so much that he can pretty much put anything out and... I will be watching. I still have to get back to Better Call Saul. My husband and I watched the first season and really liked it. And then for some reason, just never went back to it. Yeah. So it's one that we always say we're going to watch. So I think after Ozark, that might be the one we go back to. I think you have to. I mean, particularly yeah. because, I mean, there are some people who try to argue whether it is or isn't better than Breaking Bad. But as I've said, I, I don't engage in that because I consider them the same entity. So... So it, it's not a necessary conversation. I don't know. I enjoyed Walt a lot. So, I mean, I, I having only seen one season, I don't know if I can fully speak to that. But I just, I enjoyed Walt as a character. Oh, yeah. Me me too. And yeah, I mean, what whatever they do next, I suppose it would be difficult to... <laughs> to do something with <laughs> Walt in because, I mean, they've, they've literally given his entire arc from, yeah. from like standard yeah. chemistry teacher to Scarface. <laughs> I mean, that has, that has now been done. Yeah, we've kind of seen it all. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably even watch if they were like, well, here, here's some extra scenes, here's some things that Walt got up to. I think he was so interesting. I just watched like, here are his cafe conversations. This is the kind of thing he spoke about when he just went for a cup of coffee. Gotten sidetracked. <laughs> yeah, well, it happens. <laughs> this tends to happen a lot. And I'm, I'm sure you've you found from the This Is Horror podcast that we will go on great tangents and in, in different directions that you probably wouldn't expect for a horror fiction podcast that's probably why we break them up into two parts because part one is often okay actually getting to know the writer and then part two is mm -hmm. i suppose we should talk about horror that's good that you guys are good at the the whole interview process because i think well books in the freezer is very you know segmented right like, okay now we're going to talk about this now we're talking about this it's just a 
a totally different setup. But yeah, like your episodes, you just get really into all kinds of stuff. Yeah, well, I'm I'm doing my int- my best with books in the freezer to sidetrack you and to <laughs> to get you away from <laughs> these segments. But no, it's totally fine. <laughs> it's I very much prefer this than like the people I have to like prod into <laughs> answering me. Yeah, I know I know what you're talking about there, and I mean I'd rather the, the more introverted. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think even with the most introverted people, there are going to be topics mm. that they can talk about at great length. And so the key when you're interviewing is to just kind of find out, okay, what is that topic? And yeah, it can be difficult when you, you throw out one and you're like, right, I got a sentence, so I guess that's not the topic. <laughs> Let's throw out another one. That's <laughs> why, so I, I mean, often... I'll start with something on on life lessons or on childhood or I'll I'll have a look at other interviews or biographies and I'll look for really obscure details that no one has really pursued and then it's like okay we're gonna mention that and we're going to see where the conversation goes from there. So I think when we were talking to Gwendolyn Keist in her biography, she'd written something like, oh, I just happened to live on an abandoned horse farm, or it might have even been a haunted abandoned horse farm. And it's like, so you've casually said that and no one's spoken about that to you. We are definitely talking about that early on. She's from around here, isn't she? Pittsburgh, Ohio. I have a feeling around near me. I have a feeling that she is. I mean, have you seen any abandoned horse farms near you? If I'll have to, I'll have to keep a lookout now. Yeah, I mean, if you were driving around looking for an abandoned horse farm, I'm not sure. How do you find that? You have to identify something that you're like, okay, visually that definitely was a horse farm at some point. But if you see the horse, <laughs> then it's like, oh well guess it's not abandoned that's true it'd be tough well like from where i live if i head one way i'm heading to downtown pittsburgh and if i head the other way it's just rural farmland and i start getting into um evan city which is where they did um night of the living dead oh nice. so it's just spooky spooky all over the- i know that you were talking about night of the living dead not so long ago with Daniel Krauss, because that was one one of your more recent interviews. And I mean, Daniel Krauss is a fascinating writer. And actually, at the moment, I'm reading Blood Sugar, which has such a a distinct voice. I mean, the narrator, I think somebody Mm -hmm. compared it to a kind of a clockwork orange and in in terms of there hasn't been anything that distinct since then and I'd kind of agree with that I didn't read that I just finished uh Bent Heavens by him which was really good I think I saw did Bob read it was that who just posted that they read it Bob Pastorella keeps telling me that I have to read <laughs> Bent Heavens it's like any yeah. any time 
we get on a call, he's like, have you read Bent Heavens yet? It's like, no, no, I haven't, Bob. You asked me that yesterday. I have not read it yet. I know that you're very enthusiastic about it, but I mean, a lot of the way that things work with me and Bob is I'm, I'm often the one booking the guest and then Bob will tell me about a book that he absolutely loves. And then I'll say, okay, I'll check it out at some point. And then probably four months later, <laughs> I start reading it and I'm like, oh my God, Bob, this, this book is so good. And he's like, yeah, I literally tried to get you to read that <laughs> four months ago. And I'm like, well, guess we better get them on the show. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Michael, that's a, a great idea that you had. <laughs> I definitely didn't suggest that before. But yeah, I, I think I will be reading Bent Heavens soon and we will definitely be talking with Daniel Krauss, probably around the time that the Romero collaboration comes out. Yeah. So I, I know that that was originally scheduled for June, but I think it has now been pushed back to August. Well, I will be listening in for that one so what's been like the most out of your comfort zone book that you've picked up for a guest and really ended up enjoying hmm I mean that that is a difficult question because I think with my with my reading taste it's quite wide and I'm pretty much mm -hmm. up for checking out anything so, I mean, certainly my favorite type of horror is more real-life horror. So, I guess the Jack Ketchum, Anya Alborn type of horror, that's really uh, uh, is within the comfort zone. And also things by the likes of Joe R. Lansdale. So, I do enjoy minimalist dialogue and distinct voice not minimalist dialogue sorry minimalist prose heavy on dialogue and a yeah. distinct voice but in in terms of out of my comfort zone I mean we we mentioned Gwendolyn Keist and I suppose the Rust Maidens is something that I might not necessarily have picked up if it wasn't for so many people talking about just how exquisite and, and, and wonderfully written it is and was. And I mean, with, with Gwendolyn, her writing, it's almost like on a sentence by sentence level, it's like poetry. So oh, definitely, I, I guess for someone who more gravitates towards minimalist fiction, this is the, the polar opposite of that. But it's just so beautifully done and the way that she can weave a narrative that, I mean, not only did I enjoy it, but it ended up winning the novel of the year in the This Is Horror Awards. And, I mean, it it's dark fantasy, it, it's coming of age, it's poetry. These are things that I don't normally <laughs> go for and yet it just ticked. <laughs> every single box so I mean 
if anything, the, the lesson here and something we talk about a lot on This Is Horror is that you must read outside your comfort zone because, I mean, you you may be surprised how much you enjoy <laughs> this thing that, that you didn't necessarily think you'd gravitate towards. But if you don't try it, then you can't possibly know. I know, yeah, everyone has their, their things they... They mostly like, but yeah, there's just those certain books that will surprise you. Uh, but I know like when Rachel and I did this, we would switch on and off uh, picking topics that, you know, the other person might not be the most fond of. But, you know, we found a lot of hidden gems that way and tried a lot of things that we normally wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we have an offshoot podcast for our patrons called Story Unboxed. And in that, we will analyze and dissect a short story or a film, but we make it completely patron voted. So then that way, it, it, it can ensure that what we're reading is not only geared towards the patrons, but it might be taking us a little bit outside of our comfort zone or it might be making us pick up something that we wouldn't have necessarily before and I mean one of the best things that I think we unboxed for Story Unboxed was a story by Gemma Files and her husband Stephen Barringer and it was called Each Thing I Show You Is a Piece of My Death. Have you read it? No. Where's that at? I mean, is it in a collection or an anthology? Or So I think it is in a collection, but you can also read it on the Apex Magazine website. And okay. I mean, th this is a, a kind of lost film. So in that respect... It is very much in keeping with the kind of things that we're talking about. And it is a a mosaic where it there are different scenes, there are different shots from the film. There is a blog entry, there is a, a diary, there are different bits that are all pieced together and... I mean, it, it's horror, but it's also a mystery as you're trying to decipher what the hell has happened on this weird video. And it's just one of the best short stories that I've read. And I read and went into that in proper detail because of the patrons voting for it. Next up, we have, well, we have a this or that segment where I give you two options and you tell me which one you would prefer. So we are starting out with the classic Coke or Pepsi. Coke. You're joining the Coke cult. <laughs> it's okay. So far, it's been every single person I've talked to has picked Coke over Pepsi and it's just broken my heart a little bit. That's all. Okay, well, look, since you said you're in the Coke cult, I mean, I will say that I I did not feel hugely passionate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in giving this answer. Like, I, I don't drink a lot of either of them, to be honest, but I just feel out of the two, 
Coke is is a little bit superior. So I'm sorry, Pepsi people. I'm Coke cold. (laughs) Yeah, there's only a few of us, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Freddie or Jason? I'm going to go Freddie. Okay. Ebooks, audiobooks, or physical? Uh, this is really difficult. This, <laughs> I, I mean, I I have to go ebooks over physical books purely because of living in Japan and having gone all around the world. So I have to lighten the amount of stuff that I'm carrying when I'm relocating mm-hmm. so often. But I am also a huge fan of audiobooks. I mean, is this a situation where someone's saying I can o- if I can only have one in my life? Because I I do I do listen to audiobooks a lot because I can do that when I'm commuting. I can do that when I'm doing household chores. So it enables me to get a lot of reading in when otherwise I couldn't be reading. So maybe controversially. If I had to choose ebooks or audiobooks, I might choose audiobooks, but then it will break my heart when I get a bad narrator because that's you know what what that's I've true, been left yeah. with, but I think if if I only have one, then the time that I now read ebooks, I could conceivably replace that with an audiobook. But I can't I can't replace when I'm read when I'm listening to an audiobook with an ebook especially if I'm washing up otherwise I've thrown the kindle in the sink it's gonna get expensive so on that basis <laughs> I've got to go for audiobooks it makes sense it's the practical the practical choice uh beach or the mountains hmm let's go for the mountains movie or mini series movie Oh, okay. I think so. I I think, I mean, if you think about the cinema, it, it, it feels like a, a special experience going to see a movie there. And I feel that if you got rid of movies and there were only miniseries, that seeing a miniseries in the cinema just... I, I don't know. There's something about the movie that I just feel makes it a bit of a more magical... <laughs> experience for me and I'm saying that when we're living in a golden age of television series as we said before I'm very glad that we live in a world with both yeah I think if someone was to make my fiction into either a movie or a miniseries and in my mind a movie feels like the bigger deal it feels more special now don't get me wrong, if someone's listening and they're like, whoa, I was about to send you a contract for a miniseries. No, do it. You, it can, you, can, you can do that. You can obviously send send me that. You know, maybe it could be a, a two a two film deal. We could have the miniseries and the movie. And do you have a chilling obsession? A chilling obsession? That sounds like something that could could get me into trouble (laughs) I know a trick question when I hear one it feels repetitive but honestly the thing I'm most obsessed with is 
better call Saul, which is why it's so heartbreaking that there's only one episode left. I have thoroughly enjoyed that season and I cannot wait for there to be more Breaking Bad Universe things. And I'm very excited to watch the new episode tomorrow. Um, and in terms of other things that I'm obsessed by, anytime Haruki Murakami puts out a book, I am there. And listeners of This Is Horror Podcast will know that I am very much obsessed with both Resident Evil and Silent Hill. It sounds like a good collection of things um i've been i just discovered the you're wrong about podcast uh which is hosted by michael hobbs and sarah marshall so they're just two journalists that reconsider a thing that's been miscast in the public imagination so they've had episodes on like urban legends and like what you have heard and kind of what you think to be true but then they do research and tell you the actual facts and where you know this came from and how this became an urban legend and after school specials and right now they're doing a quarantine book club (laughs) where um, Sarah is reading Michelle Remembers uh, which was kind of the book that sparked the satanic panic in the 80s which was you know this supposed like true event of this psychologist um, doing kind of hypnotherapy on this patient and recovering all of these memories that were supposedly of, you know, satanic rituals. And it just, you know, started that whole moral panic in the 80s. And it's just interesting. They're kind of going through and like breaking down the book. And I think just really asking the questions that should have been asked at that moment. And I'm just kind of wondering how this all snowballed into like the crazy satanic panic that we had. That sounds fascinating that, I mean, almost sounds like a, the the kind of true crime equivalent, but we're, with like a book club. It's almost like my favorite murder doing a book club. So I, I want to check that out. Kind of. And it's one of those things like, I think the book is out of print, but it's not a book I think I would have really been interested in reading. So it's kind of, she catches you up and just tells you what happened in the chapter. So I don't feel like I have to have read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you say the name of that podcast was? Um, It's called You're Wrong About. All right. I'm going to add it to my podcast app. <laughs> Oh, man. So thank you so much for joining me today and talking with me. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. And if people want to connect with me, they can do so at Wilson the Writer on Twitter. Or they can find me at my website, www.michaeldavidwilson.co.uk. And you can, of course, also connect with me at This Is Horror, thisishorror.co.uk. And if you like listening to horror author conversations, this is Horror Podcast. Thank you so much again. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. Now, Now that I am officially back from my uh, maternity leave.
You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, and Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. That's for the Facebook page. There is also a Facebook group that you can join. You can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. And show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. And if you are looking for ways to support the podcast, we are on Patreon as Books in the Freezer. And throughout this quarantine, we have been doing movie nights for the axe-wielding maniac and malevolent spirit supporters. That's the three and the $5 levels. Uh, So, so far, I'll go in the Voxer chat and we'll kind of discuss and come up with options for what we should watch. And then I put a poll up on Patreon and then um, usually a weekend night, we will kind of watch the movie together using Netflix watch party. So there'll be a side chat going on uh, while we are all watching the movie together. And it's been really fun. It's been (laughs) getting me through this whole thing. you know, quarantine, social distancing period. It's been fun to have something to look forward to like that. And for Final Girl supporters, which is our $1 level, you get to know the episode topics a week in advance. And, you know, when I have uh, authors coming on for chats, you'll get to know and ask questions. And you get new episodes on Sunday instead of Tuesday. So two days in advance. So you can find all that on patreon.com slash books in the freezer and there's also an amazon link for the show so if you click the link and then go on amazon and purchase you know as you normally would we do uh get a little bit of that which is very helpful and it's fun to see the cool things you guys purchased like recently someone bought a 12 ounce pokemon center eevee can't wait 12 ounce stainless steel camper mug so it's a little a little uh, stainless steel camper mug with uh, Eevee on it. Also a humidifier and You Should Have Left uh, by Daniel Kalman, which was featured on our Horror in Translation episode, which is a good book. I recommend it. So I saw a few of you have bought that recently and good on you. But you don't have to spend any money to support the podcast. A good free way to help us out is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Here is a recent review from Holy Hitman. five stars. It says, I've just recently gotten back into the groove of reading horror books and was looking for a podcast to help guide me to the best to read list. And this show has done it. My list has grown and I'm loving the stuff I'm reading. The hosts are super knowledgeable and have some easy voices to listen to. Oh, thank you. I'm just flying through the shows. Thank you for helping me get out of this reading funk. So thank you very much for leaving that review. Also, just any word of mouth, like posting about uh, listening to the show on social media, anything like that is just very helpful and helps, you know, indie shows like this grow. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya or on Instagram at That's What She Read. That's That's with two A's or on YouTube at That's What She Read. Just all spelled normally. Thank you so much for listening. I am glad to be back and working on some episodes for you guys. I've got some exciting guests uh, lined up. Thank you again for listening and join us next time for Books in the Freezer. Thank you.